It's exactly 8.42. This is Under the Microscope, a part of the Metrovem Talk feature. Now, we're focusing tonight on Indlamti scenarios. They basically draft scenarios for a 2030 initiative recently unveiled the 2021 readings from its national as well as its provincial barometer. The results revealed which of the three 2030 scenarios South Africa is trending towards both as a nation and by each province. The annual barometer is designed to signal both warnings as well as opportunities for policy makers. But let's break all of this down, find out exactly what they do, how they do it and why they do it. We're joined by Olelua Kashe Katia, who is Indulamti Project Management Director. A very good evening to you. Thank you for your time tonight on the Metro FM Talk. Uh, good evening, Tami, and thank you for having me, and good evening. I, I must say, I'm a huge fan of giraffes. I think they are just so elegant. They're tall, and they have so much grace. But uh, perhaps let's focus more on the reasons why you chose Indulamti as the name for the company, or why the company is called uh, Indulamti, and what it is that you do. Uh, we chose Indulamti precisely because it's so graceful, but it also has a very long neck, which allows it to look above the trees. And, you know, an Indulamti is the Nguni uh, word for giraffe, which literally means looking above the trees. So we're trying to emphasize the fact that when we're doing long-term planning or when you're doing scenarios planning, you need to avoid being caught up in the fray of the moment. So all the things that are happening right now, the shifting political landscape, all the contestation, we need to always try to rise above it, to look beyond towards the future so that we can see a bit more clearly. So that was the, the impetus behind choosing the name Indulamiti, just to emphasize that we, we don't want to be held uh, imprisoned by the reality of the present moment. It's so true, the fact that you really have to look beyond the trees, you've got to look beyond the current circumstance in order to be able to get a better perspective of what may lie ahead for you in the future. So you measured the National 2021 um, Indulamiti Barometer, and that measures trends from July of last year to May of 2021. How did you manage to, to collect that data and what did it reveal? Well, as you know, that um, our data collection um, methods are informed or are really key drivers that we, 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 we developed from our research that we started in 2017. Now, that research um, were entailed uh, interviews and engagement and focus group discussions with a variety of experts, influencers, you know, uh, researchers and, and so on. So what we found is that the things that will pull us towards or away from cohesion would be inequality, issues of leadership, and also this idea of you know resistance and resentment around the constitution and uh, constitutional imperatives. So what we did was to then design a, a barometer by looking at other data sets, like what is you know what we, is revealed by the stats essay data or Afrobarometer more eBrain. So we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. What we did was to identify uh, indicators that would then explain or 
give us an indication of where we are going in terms of these three key driving forces that I've just men- uh, mentioned. So we would measure things like unemployment, um, the extent of poverty, education, you know, the sense of hope, you know, among citizens or, you know, trust in institutions. So it's a variety of things and we draw from different data sets. So we combine all those, uh, we've got a total of 53 indicators spread across the three uh, key driving forces and each year then we will release the results. And so far, what has been re- revealed by the barometer is that we are in the Guaraguara scenario, which is really a floundering false dawn, which is a nation that's torn between immobility and restless energy. It's, uh, it embodies a demoralized land of disorder and decay. So what you see here is a quick recapture of key uh, institutions, uh, major state institutions. We see major flare-ups across all political parties, not just the ruling party. So there's also this um, state of lawfare where, you know, it's, it's, it's war by law. And as we've seen in terms of, you know, the activities of the recent past, this actually just confirms what we've, you know, we've been seeing and what we've been witnessing. So that's where we are as a country, very far away from Naila Walk scenario, which is a nation that's, you know, walking towards each other, towards cohesion or greatest cohesion. But also it's not even it's a bourgeois scenario, which is really a more divided nation where there's just the elite and the very poor. So in Guaraguara, it's just a state of lawlessness and chaos and uh, and decay, really. Are these states, Olelua, um, mutually exclusive? And I ask you this because a, a bourgeois nation where there is large inequality, uh, gaps between the haves and the have-nots, could in, in some ways also lead to a Guaraguara state, um, specifically amongst those who may be classified as the have-nots. Yes, that, that is true. As I was saying, you know, the three key driving forces together, all three of them, will determine which way we are going. So we don't look at them in isolation. So when you pull them apart, you will find that in terms of, for example, the resistance around the constitution, we are the but when you look at leadership, it's about 43%. But when you isolate inequality, it plunges us into 85% Guaraguara. So the greatest pool into Guaraguara then becomes the inequality, even though when you combine all of those, it's expressed as 85% in terms of inequality. But when you combine all three, the aggregate of the results then puts us at 59%. So it's a combination of all those things, you know, the inequality, the leadership, and also issues of resentment. But then depending on, on the indicators, then it will, it, will, it will determine which way we are going. But there is expression of a bourgeois nation within the totality of the result, but it's expressed as, you know, it, it's appearing as 28%. So it is the inequality. Excuse me. It is the that um, uh, it's a bourgeois nation, but inequality plunges us into a state of lawlessness. Looking, so, uh, what I find quite interesting is that the, the trends that you measured for, for this year are between 2020 July and May 2021. And, and already at that point, um, it pointed to Guaraguara. What we've seen happening happened just last week. Uh, does this then mean that what has happened and the looting and the rioting 
was actually foreshadowed looking at the barometer and looking at the outcome of the survey that one could have very easily said, okay, we are in a Guaraguara type of atmosphere. This is likely to happen when we are in the state. Well, I, I, I don't think the activities of the past few days are unique to the South African situation. It's just that at times we've given them names They've been previously referred to as service delivery protests. We've seen trucks burning on the entry. If you look at our bo- uh, booklet, the interlamative booklet, we describe that in, in, in the, actually in the Guaraguara scenario, the trucks burning on the entry because we know that at the, at the Moy Plaza, that always happens. It's just that last week, this was this spotlight that shone onto that. The conflicts in KZN. Those have always been there. But then we have this, I, what I, I personally refer to now. I mean, we, at Inflamid, we talk about gray rhinos, which are things that we're supposed to be aware of, like COVID, because there was MERS and there was SARS before. But when COVID hit us, we all pretended to be surprised. Same thing. So I'd say similarly, we have our own gray rhinos in terms of these violent, very violent protests that we have in South Africa. But somehow we tend to assign names to them. It's xenophobic attacks. It's 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 fallism. It's you know so many things. Service delivery protests and and so on. But I think uh, that's something that's been with us for some time right now. But it is really just a reflection of the violent nature of our society, and it is violent because of our wounded history of inequality that persists into the present. What you say here in your report is that the Guaraguara scenario is for the first time dominant across all the key driving forces. Um, tell us about this. Well, uh, in the previous years, uh, we had found that in terms of resentment, Guaraguara was uh, not so prominent. It was really a, a, a bourgeois that was prominent in the previous year at 50%. When you look at capacity or leadership issues, again, it was Isi Bourgeois that was prominent last year. But this year that has shifted, both those key drivers have expressed Guaraguara. When it comes to inequality, last year it was always, actually from the beginning, it was always Guaraguara when it comes to inequality. But this year it moved so drastically from 80% to 85%. So then a combination of those, that's what made Guaraguara so dominant across, you know, when it comes to the aggregate results. But it is true that for the first time, it is expressed across all three, whereas before it was just in terms of inequality. This is an annual, an annual survey that you put together. Has there ever been a time where we were in the Naile walk uh, type of phase? No, that has never happened. Actually, Nyla Walk has been always very minimally uh, expressed. I mean, it has, when you look at the key driving forces alone, it has never been above 25%. And uh, when you look at the aggregate, you know, when you look at the aggregate uh, outcome, it's always been there around 12% and, and so on. So we are very, very far away from uh, Naila Walk. However, when you look at the granular detail of the indicators, there are some positives. For example, if you look at the movement around 
the agricultural sector. That indicator alone, it moved in the past year from uh, Isi Bourgeois to Naila Walk, just that alone. And last year, we had one positive that moved from Isi Bourgeois to Naila Walk, and that was the, that's when we started seeing uh, more representat- uh, representation of young people in parliament. And that created a positive, but I mean, it's just a minute detail out of the 53 indicators where there's a positive shift, but then it gets drowned out when you aggregate all the indicators. I, I guess, you know, at, at this point, we'll, we'll clutch at anything that looks like positivity and, and say to ourselves, how do we then try and replicate the same scenario, which is a positive indicator, and have that replicate across all 53 of, of the indicators? But close your eyes and paint the scenario for us. What would a Nayi uh scenario or state of being in South Africa actually look like? Well, we've described in the scenario, in the, in, 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 in the Nile Walk scenario, what it would take, it would take an overhaul of the entire education system from early childhood development. So within the first thousand days or so of a ch- any child's life, if you can pay attention to, you know, that early childhood development uh, phase, and then we move on to foundation phase, all the way to higher education overhaul of that system, but also focusing on training and developing uh, those who are part of the civil service. Once again, it's about education and training. But one thing that we found would add value would be civic education across all grades, wherein our young people are taught how to become an active citizen, how to become a South African citizen, what it means to be South African. Um, issues about values, wherein we can have a common understanding of our history. Because right now that space is so contested. We don't understand who was the victim and who's the victim. We seem to have children that imagine that, you know, it all is fair and we're all equal. And it just happened to have sections of society that, that happened to not really make it in life. So we need to pay attention to that. But also in terms of now building the country and the economy, we feel that through a social compact, there should be, you know, um, a spirit of give and take, a spirit of compromise wherein business can bring things to the table. As indicated now, if you can see what's happening with the provision of vaccines, they have not been privatized. You're seeing the private sector coming in, uh, discoveries of this world, you know, opening up these centers, the discounts and so on, opening up to augment state capacity in the delivery of vaccines even though this is a project that is state-led but they are collaborating with business and there's also civil society and all these things were negotiated at the network where labor also sits so we feel that if we amplify that beyond COVID, you know to take that approach in any of the challenges then we will see you know uh, an improvement as we've seen now you know, with this current situation where we've been forced to rally together to co-create and everyone bringing whatever they have to the table. But then it has to be formalized. It has to be more binding than just a, a, a gentleman's agreement like we've had before. Do these insights affect policy and policymakers at all? Yes, of course they do. I mean, if you read the National Development Plan, 
one of the things that was supposed to come out of the NDP was that there was supposed to be a social contact. That still has not been implemented. Yes, we do understand policymakers have been grappling with the idea of social compacting, what it entails, where it has worked in the world. So at the moment, it's still exploring, theorizing, and evaluating means or ways to make social compacts or you know, make them into contracts that are binding to also create institutions that could actually sanction those who do not live up to what they promised through a compact. But now we're at a point where these things have to be, you know, implemented. And we're hoping and in, in, in actually paying close attention to activities around the NEDLEC where these things are happening. And the NEDLEC is the one institution that was set up by law back in the 90s to actually serve as a platform for dialogue and a platform for, you know, compacting. But we have to look and see if, you know, the NEDLEC will be able to, you know, to live up to this function beyond COVID because it has mm. to be reminded of that role and seeing the president also taking various uh, negotiations to the NEDLEC and certain outcomes coming out, whether it's on provision of PPE or, you know, how we work with healthcare workers to even the current vaccine uh, uh, distribution. Roll out. Well, we thank you so much for the insights and the work that you do at Indulamiti uh, uh, Scenarios. Thank you so much uh, for that. That uh, wraps up our Under the Microphone for today. And just a quick wrap up. You asked what are your top stories for today. And Dantla Twala says, uh, waiting for the decision on Zuma being allowed to attend his brother's funeral, how they're going to cover security there. If he's not allowed, what law are they going to use? Bululani Mkhiana says, the VIP protection services will take care of that outside the Correctional Services Center. He still enjoys the benefits of being a former head of state. Diana Chiangwa says, we buy cars, buying the Domo's top story for today. And Tanta Twala says it's interesting how the law needs to be relooked when uh, former President Jacob Zuma is involved. That's how we wrap it up for this evening. I'm Tamin Gubeni. Thank you very much for uh, your time and your ears today. I've been sitting in for Ayabong Atkawe, but now making way uh, for Msizi Shembe, who is sitting in uh, for Sintle. He takes you into the 9 to 12 or 9 to midnight. You have yourself a splendid evening further. Good night.